rated everyone. This just in. The battle for Bikini Bottom will not be fought. It will be play. Help SpongeBob, Patrick, and Sandy foil Plankton's evil scheme to take down Bikini Bottom. SpongeBob SquarePants, the battle for Bikini Bottom, now available on your favorite game system. Hoi mateys, and welcome aboard to another exciting episode, episode 125 of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your host, Captain Eric, and on today's episode, we're diving back into the world of SpongeBob video games. When you start walking through the literal zoo of different and bountiful games starring SpongeBob, you're going to re uh, resemble a few that you may think are goats, but we all know there can only be one. And of course, the answer to that question is today's subject. Of course, some of you may say that the movie game is that that looks like a goat, but we all know that today's subject matter would uh, would be the foundation for what was built for the movie game. SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom was released on October 31st, 2003 for the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Nintendo GameCube. It was developed by Heavy Iron Studios, while the PC version was handled again by AEW Games, and its Game Boy Advance version handled by Vicarious Visions. As for Heavy Iron Studios, this was their third game overall and second game of the console generation, having previously released Scooby-Doo Night of 100 Frights in 2002. Same here as SpongeBob's first 3D platformer, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, a respectable first outing in many ways, it was only going to really service those who enjoyed SpongeBob, while not offering much more than you couldn't get from any other mainline platformer at the time. THQ, the publisher, was free to pass the license off to any other studio they deemed fit, and they, the lateral move of the SpongeBob IP, IP moved over to Heavy Iron Studios with its eventual release on Halloween 2003. The game was a moderate success on, on the critical end, with a raging success on the sales front, easily achieving the re-release status for all three consoles, the player's choice of the GameCube, the greatest hits on the PS2, and the platinum hits on the Xbox. Once a game sells a certain amount of units, they're allowed to be re-released under those brandings. From its release on, the game would always be remembered as a solid platformer, and you wouldn't be surprised to see it on any top 10 list of best licensed games or best platforming games not starring a plumber or a hedgehog. But it wasn't until the late 2010s that we would not only truly get to see how loud the love for this game would get, but just how impressive some of its player base has become since its release. Five or six years ago, those in the, the uh, speedrunning community would have scoffed at the idea of any sort of licensed game getting as much coverage as any some of the gaming greats out there, especially one starring SpongeBob. But due to a dedicated player base and their ability to help bring more attention to the speed possibilities within Bikini Bottom, their drive along with the love helped rehydrate the entire experience all over again for an entirely new generation. And if I can quote one of those speedrunners, a good speedrun needs both initial shock factor to interest viewers and impressiveness of execution to keep people interested in watching the same run again and again. I believe that helps explain why the game has gained so much traction com competitively in recent years. That quote comes, comes from the current world record holder of Battle for Bikini Bottom in its any percent category, but also the world record holder for the fastest speedrun beating the game in its 100% category. You may have caught a speedrun or two of his at various Awesome Games Done Quick events throughout the years, and I'm proud to say that he is my guest today, the first person who came to mind when talking about Battle for Bikini Bottom, speedrunning, and what it takes to be a goat in his own right. Ladies and gentlemen, Shift. Hello. How are you How doing? Do you... Awesome. Just had a very busy day, but I'm happy to be here talking to you now. 
I, I got to imagine. I mean, you're the amount of uh, the amount that your mind is just going when during those speed runs. I, I got to imagine that throughout the day, anything else you're doing is is even when it's slower, your mind is still going at that same same rate. Yeah, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the presentation of it, especially the supplemental content that keeps people interested in learning about it and becoming more passionate about it. Because again, at the end of the day, like anybody can just play a game, but you know, making the game presentable keeping people interested in it and involved in it is a whole different animal. And that takes a lot of behind the scenes work. Oh, absolutely. Now you had mentioned before that, you know, like myself, you played the game when it first initially came out, but had forgotten about it in your later years. Um, was this a solid memory of your gaming gaming years? Uh, was it among some of the greats that you played of the time or, you know, what, what was it about Battle for Bikini Bottom specifically that when you decided, hey, I could speedrun this, that was the game above all else? Yeah, when I first started getting back into the game is because of the exploits that had already been found in it by my predecessors. However, um, it was really not a decision of what game am I going to speedrun. It was more that I got back into the game. I was revisiting a bunch of games during my spring break of 2016. And this is one of the games that I tried again, and I just happened to really enjoy it with the exploits that I had come to learn from replicating them through glitch videos that I saw on the internet. So from there, I just eventually learned more of them to the point where I decided I know enough of these tricks that I can try to beat my own, like I can try to set my own speedrun record. And the first first couple of runs I did, they were, you know, like over a couple of hours. But the more I played, the more I was curious to see who else was playing. And if the game had any sort of popularity with how cool it had become. And at that point, I thought that so many people had worked on it because I'd assumed that with how crazy it was, it must have had a large player base. But when I checked it out, turns out the opposite was true. And I decided I wanted to be the one to bring it into the spotlight because it had so much potential. And needless to say, it had even more potential than I realized initially. But the same attitude, the same feeling is still there that the game has much more that it can possibly do. And we're only just now scraping the surface of what we can display in terms of skill and also just the general aura of the community we can develop as well into something greater. I mean, that's that's crazy that you said that, because one of the like first questions that would come to mind talking to someone who has played a game like this nonstop for as much as you have. I mean, at one point in 2020, you mentioned that you had racked up close to 9000 hours thus far in Battle for Bikini Bottom. Uh, with having that much under your belt, playing the game every which way you can, you know, it's interesting that at this point you're still saying that there's still so much more to be found, so many corners to be cut. That must be a part of the excitement to continually play the game is because you, I mean, you know that they're there. It's just about finding them. Yeah, it's not only just that. It's also just the fact that with 3D platformers, you have an entire different dimension of movement to you know just discover and develop and even in just not finding anything you can still improve the game by not just cutting corners harder but understanding the feel of the game better like as you play more you start to realize better ways of staying consistent at certain split times and you know rounding corners certain ways and again like the camera as well like a game just being three-dimensional is not the only extra dimension of these games where back in an era when the camera is like controlling your own character itself, like you're controlling two characters at the same time. Yep. And you'll see how, in especially in Battle for Bikini Bottom, your camera angle also dependent on the lag as well, which also depends on the camera angle, can also impact the physics of the game. 
and how certain things react to others. Like especially, and you'll see in the the money generation segment in Goo Lagoon, ski ball abuse. I'll have the camera angled a certain way and try not to move it too much when I'm hitting those angles to make sure that I'm generating as many points as possible. And you have a lot of small things like that where you can't possibly quantify how quick they can go, especially playing on an old console like an original Xbox. Like there are always more ways of optimizing it in terms of you know adjusting your habits to make the frame rate better adjusting your movement to cut corners faster like i mentioned earlier there's always something to improve there's always something to optimize and even when you think that things are over that really at the end of the day just comes down to the player's skill you can always get better at the game since you the i guess whatever interview you're referencing i've racked up probably at least five to six thousand more hours in the game yeah you'd say you're over ten thousand at this point uh probably somewhere closer to fifteen thousand yeah wow that's that's nice wow yeah, even the past like month, I've noticed like a lot of things are changing. Small things are getting better. And it was only last night or the past couple of nights since my last record at any percent a month and a half ago about that I started getting more paces into late game. I lost a couple of runs the past couple of nights to the Dutchman's Graveyard, which you know since you played is at the end of the game. So yeah. we're, we're making a push for it, but we're not quite there yet. Just small things getting better. And, of course, to the next goal post, which is the 42, sub 43 minutes. And we're probably going to see even more minute breaks in the future, but I, I think that from now on, we're going to not only see fewer minute breaks less frequently, but we're going to appreciate every second of the game more and more. And this is, again, like why I say that it never ends, because it's all, it's all relative. Maybe five years ago, if you saved 20 seconds, that was probably appreciated just as much as saving two seconds now. But it's all just relative, like I just said. You know, you have maybe... A half a second of time to save maybe 10 years from now but it's still going to matter just as much because it's it all scales up in relevance and importance absolutely and then you have well new people who are hopping on now into speed running battle for bikini bottom they're learning the the tricks of the trade that you guys have laid out before them and then they're just joining what you guys are currently doing still figuring out the current game as is finding the best route possible and then sharing that information with everybody else so that it just rises everybody's game up. Right. Uh, one thing yeah. I, I, thought was... Under, uh, I was, I was just going to talk about a little bit on the point of um, rising everyone's skill up because I've been recently getting into TikTok trying to show people outside the YouTube and Twitch communities more about the game. And one of the popular comments and opinions I get on the game is that you know, you're not really playing the game if you're skipping things. You just looked up a glitch or a, a code, as they call it sometimes, because they just don't understand to beat the game faster or to skip gameplay. But ironically, what they don't understand is not only that like I'm part of the community that developed these things, but also that everybody has the same knowledge. It's fair competition. We want people to get better at the game to push it more. So that's just a great point that you bring up, that people are all getting better at the game as not only the best player gets better, but we're all developing and finding more things to push the game more. And not only just the the world record strats are developing, also the easier beginner-friendly, intermediate, and even high-level strats are getting easier, faster, and more consistent on a daily basis to get people closer to that level. And of course, like it just has to keep moving from there. The The top end is going to get even more impressive. The bottom end is going to get even more impressive in a way where a less skilled person can get into the game more easily, which walls off fewer people from trying the game and potentially lets more people get in so they can get better and improve the game from there and maybe develop new things on their own that'll contribute to the top strats, the middle strats, and so forth. It all it all works together. 
And straight from the beginning, I recognized that it was extremely important to make sure that anybody can play the game because you never know who's going to pass by who could have found the next big thing. Right. And you, and you never know who's going to pick up the game in a casual sense and also, you know, like yourself, realize, hey, I have an act at this and I can also get better and, and be better. Um, it, it's also uh, really interesting that the changes of the hardware over the years um, and the and the back end of what that has helped in the speedrunning community, going from the GameCube for so long to like this slight change of the 360 and then the Xbox. But then I, I got to say, for anybody looking in, into speedrunning, any of the videos you have laid out, even specifically about Battle for Bikini Bottom, have been tremendous in just giving out information as far as just general speedrunning knowledge, knowledge about the game. Um, and even somebody just watching one of your speed runs late at night, if they've never played battle for bikini bottom before, and they're thinking about even playing it in a casual sense, there's no way not watching your speed run. They're not going to pick up on, on a movement sense of that game. Just, just by watching somebody who's played it over, over 10,000 hours at this point. Um, but yeah, the, the hardware sense, can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it, it was a wild little rabbit hole to go down of not only the changes of the hardware over the years, but then the specifics behind the scenes, especially with the models of Xbox, that was really interesting. Um, right. So at the very beginning, the very, very beginning, when people first started taking interest in playing the game, this was before capture cards and streaming and OBS and all these open source programs are mainstream. The game was played on a PlayStation 2 at the very, very beginning. But uh, soon after, a few people who worked on the game for several years before I started playing here on and off here and there, played on the GameCube version, and then they switched to the Wii at some point. You know, just the Wii being slightly faster, seeing as it's a newer console that is essentially just a GameCube that is just more powerful, slightly. Right. So they used that for years. And it wasn't until uh, 2015, I believe, that they discovered that the Xbox version is faster and not differentiating between Xbox 360 and Xbox, they assumed 360 was faster because it was newer. Uh, again, like... This was also at a time when the community was not really much of a community, more of just like a few people who kind of wanted to play the game here and there. A lot of these older licensed games that were forgotten about are like that, where there are a few people who play the game a few times a year, and then they just stop, and eventually, you know, they'll maybe play it again at some point. But it wasn't like a big sensational thing until the year that I started playing, and the game was so competitive and was being pushed to its limits so quickly that... You know, we inadvertently figured out that the original Xbox is faster. And not only that, we started exploring very early on which um, models and types of Xboxes could be fast. There was a rumor coming from another community that the Crystal Xbox, like a limited edition Xbox, was fast. And that like there were other limited edition Xboxes that were different colors. Yeah. And I get out of pocket to try and test all these things. It cost a lot of money, especially um, not being a full-time streamer yet and just starting college. I probably couldn't have afforded it, but it was just so enticing to know like what was the fastest way to beat the game. Well, but as it turns out... Knowledge that you did it. You know, it's one thing for the hearsay to go right. around, but it's another thing to, to put your money where your mouth is and try it out. Well, the funny thing is that the colors don't actually matter. We, we did discover from that, though, that there are different models of the Xbox, but we were only basing it on year at that point. It wasn't until years later, which puts us at last year in 2021, when a, a finalized spreadsheet of different drives was finally put together to figure out which one was the fastest. And it turns out that one of the drives that we believed for a while to be um, not official was something that was manufactured for a short amount of time during the Xbox's development cycle. However, it was 
quickly at some point switched out because it had a lot of issues with reading discs. But it is reading these discs faster, so we decided to do some runs with that. And it turns out that one of the strategies that we used to do called lag clips, which at the time they were arcane, we didn't quite understand 100% how they worked. These lag clips were not working as well as they would on the former drive, which we'll refer to as the Samsung A. The new drive, the Samsung B, is the one that we were trying to get these lag clips to work on, which saved a lot of time because you can just clip through the ground in certain areas. Which, by which lag clips, uh, for, for those that don't know, you guys are actually pausing the game, and what the game is actually doing, if, if I'm not mistaken, is they're switching between the music tracks of the menu and the level that you're in, and it's during that time that the game can kind of push your character into areas that they're not necessarily meant to go in. Right. At the time, we didn't know that, though. We thought that the pausing the game and loading the models over and over again, because that would make sense that usually when there's a, a, an overload of entities being loaded into a game, if you keep loading them back and forth, it would lag the game. We thought it was purely graphical. So we tried gutting the Xboxes and switching in and out like different you know, um, hard disks, disk drives. Uh, we tried different uh, graphic chips because all the Xboxes have different graphic chips too. It's a whole rabbit hole of technology to go into. It's pretty fascinating console, but th not to digress, we eventually figured out that it's only the disk drive because essentially lag clips, like you said, it's reading the disk to switch between the two different music tracks between the pause menu, ambient noise, and the music in the game. It has nothing to do with the actual models being loaded into the level. That's a whole different thing. So as soon as we figured out that it was because of error correction, like if the disc has um, you know a little bit of a scratch or ding or fingerprint on it, we figured out that if it's entirely due to error correction, whether this works consistently on this specific drive, because it was a you know it was a it was a not not a great piece of hardware. These Samsung B disc drives. They would load the game too quickly sometimes that the loads would freeze. They would sometimes, like I said, like the lag clips are inconsistent. So that just tells you, therefore, that like it's not loading things consistently. So another thing, too, is that they were burning rings in our discs when we were testing with them. Like I had a pristine disc that I'd gotten new wrapped up and just to test things with. And it burned a like a indistinguishable ring around the disc when I was using them. So there's no wonder why these things were taken off the market. But again, with speed running, like you don't want to make arbitrary rule sets and keep things inaccessible it's not really practical to ban an entire disk drive that was manufactured with the original xbox what made more sense was a was a, a point brought up by, by my buddy zim who was helping me investigate this whole thing and test the different xboxes and their different parts the idea of downloading the game to the hard disk that is native to the xbox through soft modding which was not a feature i believe that the playstation 2 had some models that had hard disks that could be downloaded to but I, I know the GameCube didn't. I'm pretty sure it didn't. And the Xbox, fortunately, had a very large one. I believe because the Microsoft was trying to make the Xbox more of a universally... Uh, kind of like what they have now, where the Xbox is kind of more treated like a media system that also plays games. They had this whole feature where you could play music on your Xbox. They wanted you to download movies. They wanted you to do all these things with it. So they, they loaded it with a hard drive that was up to 10 gigabytes large. So there's plenty of space to download the soft mod, like to jailbreak your Xbox and then download the game to it. Oh, so yeah. we eventually ended up legalizing that, which thankfully Battle for Bikini Bottom is as optimized and a well-programmed pro enough game to be able to download the game and play it with these hard disk loads and still not have the game crash on loads. Because there are some other games, like especially the SpongeBob movie game, which is much more poorly made, where if you download the game to the hard, the hard disk on the Xbox, it just crashes. So... 
there there are some other problems that other games have with that as well. But thankfully, this game is optimized enough where we don't have that issue. I mean, I'm to get to more on that point. I've played this game a lot, like you already know, oh, yeah. many hours. I've, I've probably tried, I've attempted to speedrun the game at least thirty thousand times, and not once in my entire year of playing the in my entire years of playing the game, six and a half years or so, has the game ever crashed during a run ever. So that's just a, a testament to the stability of this game. It's it's the most stable speed run of all time, straight up. I've never seen it, it crash. It's really incredible. Once. I mean, going back to Heavy Iron, this was this was their second game on this console generation, one year after their their first game for it, and and also just you mentioned that. Oh yeah, yeah. I I just played that game recently on the Xbox Scooby Doo Night at One Hundred Frights, and you can kind of see some of the DNA. I I thought about it a lot after I was done playing it. I played Scooby Doo that night, and I played Incredibles later, which was another game that was developed alongside the movie game the year after um, Battle for Bikini Bottom. And it's so fascinating how like you can kind of tell that they have some good ideas, and Scooby Doo just like not a very good variety of collectibles. The upgrade pacing felt kind of arbitrary and not um, like a little bit excessive. Like you don't start with enough moves and you just unlock them at weird spots. The Scooby snacks are really just only the main mode of progression and the pacing is kind of weird for that. Like I recently replayed Battle for Bikini Bottom as a casual game in my recent 34 hour Spongebob where we played a bunch of Spongebob games from my childhood. And it felt like the whole time, like the shiny object pacing was basically perfect as long as you're hitting things and being mindful of combos the way that the game tells you to play the game. If you're collecting spatulas when you see them in socks, you never really hit a wall until you're doing 100% to get all the crab spatulas. The game's pacing is basically perfect. But Scooby-Doo, you can still see like little um, semblances of of things that get you know elaborated on in the next iteration, Battle for Bikini Bottom. Even the, the user interface, like the little menu that comes up that shows you how many things you have. You can just tell as well like the map, when you're scrolling around on the map and the, the, the Scooby-Doo menu, that they figured out from then to Battle for Bikini Bottom, like how to make the menu more uh, navigatable, I guess. User friendly. To, I guess. You can move around. Yeah, because in Scooby Doo, you can only move up and down, like from level to level. Like it's a very linear thing, but in Battle for Bikini Bottom, it's more like a grid where you can choose an individual world and then scroll left and right to the individual missions. And the game's also much more open, too, so it doesn't really force you to do everything straight in a row. A big thing about Scooby-Doo that they... There are a couple of things as well. Uh, not to dwell, but I find this stuff so fascinating. No, like this, that is, this is the place not, to dwell. If, if there's ever a place to do yeah, it. No, I, I love the... I love studying the Heavy Iron games to understand why Battle for Bikini Bottom was such an impressive fluke in an otherwise, like, mostly mediocre lineup of games. It's actually so fascinating. Like, we all wonder the stuff. We all play them on stream to try and figure out, like, what caused this game to be so great because it's, it's really is kind of crazy how much better it is <clears throat> compared to the other ones but with scooby-doo one of the things that i noticed as well the, the camera not only there's no like controllable camera in the game battle for bikini bottom was their first time with the controllable camera and it was an absolute hit like they the, con- the controls are just so perfect and the camera angle is just so nice to see everything but also keep it cinematic enough to be able to enjoy the environments because it's a beautiful game as well, especially when you consider what else was coming out in 2003. You want to be able to see stuff, and a lot of platformers have a poor balance of being able to see things but also being able to see where your character's platforming because it's very uh, technical, these platformers. They're very skill-based, but you also want to be able to see what's happening around you as well, and they have the perfect balance with that. Scooby-Doo, unfortunately, even for uh, a, a 
a 2.5D platformer, I guess we'll call it in some areas, like Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Um, the camera angles, even though you can't control them, are still not very good because they kind of they make the game a little bit more difficult than it has to be, or the angle is just not right, or it's just too zoomed out. Or I was noticing that a lot of the time when I was playing Scooby-Doo, that a lot of the platforming was very easy, but it was just more the camera angle that made it more difficult than it had to be. And that's just one of the things they really ironed out in Battle for Bikini Bottom, is the game's not fighting you. It, feel, it really feels like you're one with the game when you play it, which would explain why I just enjoy playing it after all this time. It really just feels like it's an extension of yourself rather than something that you're just fighting against, which yeah, a lot of games these days do feel that way. But the one thing I want to bring camera, up... Um, just one thing I was going to say... Oh yeah, absolutely, go ahead. Uh, finish your thought on the camera. Uh, this I was is just going to say, when you, have to, when you have to jank that camera, it makes you question more jumps nine times out of ten than when you have a full, open, free camera, and then, like with SpongeBob, you're just, you know exactly where you're going. Yeah, and I do feel that, like, there's definitely value in both. I love games where there's a fixed camera, as long as it's fair. But with a 3D platformer, being able to turn the camera can definitely make things easier. But it's, it's a very different kind of game. Like, it's hard to explain. Like, Scooby-Doo is much more like Crash Bandicoot, where SpongeBob is more like Spyro, in a way. Like, they're both very different types of games. It's just that I think that, that Scooby-Doo kind of missed the mark on the formula a little bit, but... I think that SpongeBob arguably takes the Spyro formula and does a better job with it than Spyro ever did. So it's really impressive like how they took elements from other platformers and combined them into this random SpongeBob game, and it was a huge hit, especially after coming off of the bad reputation of Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Like They were still managed to sell so many copies because people just knew the word of mouth back then was that the game was good. But one of the coolest things that I noticed about Scooby-Doo when I was playing it was how there's there are signs of good physics and good movement and good collision, but they're just not quite there yet. And what I realized, what made me realize this was Scooby-Doo having four legs. And this sounds funny, oh. but because because this, the characters in the Heavy Iron games, when the, their platforming is not based on like a, a static capsule, the capsule moves, changes, and forms based on the point their animation is in. Like with SpongeBob, I explained this in my most recent World Record Explained series, how climbing Squidward's house spongebob's feet kind of swing up and down and you want to time your jump so his feet swing into the the vertex of the squibbered house so you can climb up now with scooby-doo the issue is that when he's a dog like he when he jumps with his paws his back feet sometimes land in the wrong spot before his front feet do and it's very confusing telling when you landed because you don't know whether his front paws are landing first or his back feet so it makes it very weird. Like the, the language is not too great. And the way his, his jumping animation looks good, but practically it's, it just feels weird because, you, again, you don't know when you're landing. But with SpongeBob, he has two feet, so you can clearly see like when you're supposed to jump. It's just like a little, little small things that make a good platformer like that, where you can tell, like, you can appreciate when you played platformers for so long that, like, Scooby Doo. It it's not a great game. It's not even arguably a good game, but there are pieces in there that make the foundations of a good game, and they figured it out in the next one. They really just nailed it all the way home. The one thing I wanted to do as well to compliment Scooby Doo is that the game runs at a, an amazing, con, amazingly consistent frame rate, despite it being 30 FPS. It's still consistent, which a lot of games during that era did not have, and especially for licensed games as well. But uh, one thing as well is the loading times are insanely good for Scooby-Doo. When I was playing on Xbox, it instant loads. And again, like that's really impressive for a game at the time because a lot of games just couldn't even 
be published to their respective consoles because their loads were too slow. Um, this is a bit off topic, but Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, a big reason why it failed is because of that, because they tried to optimize their loads. And um, because they were so slow that Sony wouldn't allow them to publish the game, the loads were so... They, they dwelled so long, they tried to do a little trick that some games did where they reset the console and, re, and restart it to make the game load faster and make it more optimized. But some of the models of PS2 couldn't handle that, so the oh, game geez. just 100% crashed on some models of the PS2. So eventually, that wasn't what caused the, the studio to go out of business, but it was probably one of the contributing factors or just one of their many oversights that caused them to go under. And then eventually, we know that Heavy Iron, um, the next year, made the next game. Yeah, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman was the last game they made, actually. And Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, I've always maintained um, it's it's the first time we had a 3D platformer in Bikini Bottom. Uh, there was a lot for any studio to handle. And if you're a SpongeBob fan, it, it's a decent ride. It's a decent decent ride. Play it casually. It's nice to see Clancy Brown show up to, to play Mr. Krabs because every other voice actor they've gotten it, seemingly they get right off of the street. No offense. Um, but it, it's it's a decent time, but it really is just a, a appetizer to the main course that is Battle for Bikini Bottom. Um, even going through Heavy Iron's whole catalog here, starting out with Evil Dead, Hail to the King. Uh, shout out to the uh, Evil Dead fans out there. Um, they also handled the next two SpongeBob games. We've mentioned the movie, and then also they did Truth or Square. As you've mentioned, you've played all of these games a ton, casually, otherwise. What what was it? Now, I have thoughts about the movie as to why it's obviously you know somewhat less than and why obviously people love it more. I understand both. But even going to Truth or Square, why is it that up to that point, up to 2009, we couldn't have another platforming SpongeBob game that could even reach somewhat of the similar level of quality of Battle for Bikini Bottom. What what was happening? Well, I think that, well, I, I haven't really played Truth or Square in full, um, just to put that out there. I played a little bit of it, but it seems to suffer from the same issues that Creature from the Krusty Krab and the movie game had. I think that the issue that comes from the movie game is that people... And again, I think that a lot of people who think the game is superior to Battle for Bikini Bottom just haven't played it in like 15 years. I think that really is the case. But with Battle for Bikini Bottom, it's a very different kind of game than the movie game. And I recently played the movie game on my stream twice. And I've been thinking about this a lot. It's much more similar to the Incredibles game, where you kind of have this basic formula of going through linear levels and having mini games on the side. Uh, Incredibles having the little like shooting sections yeah spongebob maybe having like the the sections where you 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 fight the enemies in combat and the, the rolling spongebob stuff whereas like these elements were incorporated creatively into battle for bikini bottom like i always reference the crusty crab how the enemies are positioned in the crusty crab very specifically to they're designed as stage hazards almost to make you think about where you're platforming what your next move is like how the small robots on the ground can be avoided by platforming on the tables and how you can hit the sleepy times on the top level by igniting the thunder tikis and letting them rise up and blow up. Like there are many creative ways they give you to beat these levels, but in the movie game, the, the combat is more of just like you walk into a, an empty room and they ambush you, and then you just have to fight them by just attacking over and over again, which is not what the game excelled at. In Battle for Bikini Bottom, your combat kit is very basic, but it's basic by design because they didn't want the game to be so combat-centric. It's much more... They're more stage hazards like in Crash Bandicoot where it's not intended to be a combat game. You're just it, it just makes you think about where you're jumping next. 
But the movie game, they literally have levels where you just get spit out into a different area and you just hit stuff in a circular ring for like five straight minutes. So there are just like things like that. And also they change the health system for the enemies in the movie game where instead of just everything is dying to just one hit or two hits, depending on the type of enemy, it, it keeps ramping up the health through each section of the game. Like the same type of enemy you fought in I'm Ready Depression, which is the Goofy Goober area versus Planktopolis. They'll be the same enemy, but they just attack you a little bit faster or they'll just have like more, um, they'll have more health. And it's just, um, it's just an interesting take on it because the same thing with the Incredibles, it seems like they just wanted to make a beat em up with the Incredibles, but it's almost like they wanted to turn Battle for Bikini Bottom's engine into a beat em up. But they still have platforming elements in both. It's interesting. But yeah. I, I compare the Incredibles to the movie game a lot because they were made during the same time. I feel like at that point, Heavy Iron had like ironed out their <laughs> formula where they wanted to make the same kinds of games. And Again, like with Truth or Square, it seems like they wanted to make a sequel to Battle for Bikini Bottom, which we know um, was hijacked by Nickelodeon. They wanted to rebrand it to uh, help promote their Truth or Square TV special. But I don't think, contrary to popular belief, I don't think that was going to be a big thing that would change the content of the game, but just more of the branding of the game. Like it was originally supposed to be called Happiness Squared, but right. they rebranded it and it's still probably a very similar game. It's a sequel to Battle for Bikini Bottom. It makes sense. You can't really explore Battle for Bikini Bottom more than you already have. So they explore SpongeBob's memories and you go back into points of the show where like you know like the the christmas who thing where squidward is santa claus or like the first time he jellyfished you have little moments like that you go back to and the robots are there but they're like different robots and they implemented the cut content from battle for bikini bottom like robo squidward and so forth yeah they have like little little like hints to show you like this is supposed to be the sequel but they really just at that point i don't think that any of the same people who worked on battle for bikini bottom maybe very few of them were still working at the studio and you see it kind of follows the same formula as the movie game despite trying to be like battle like a battle for bikini bottom sequel i think they just at some point just kind of change their idea on what on how to make a game the thing about battle for bikini bottom is it's not meant to be like an extremely intense um game that's supposed to keep you engaged the whole time it's no it's no dark souls you know it's more of just a vibe you just kind of go around and explore stuff but at the very end like the final boss really feels like the perfect climactic ending to a game that you otherwise mostly spent your time exploring things. I think toward the end, like SpongeBob's Dream and the and the Dutchman's Graveyard are good examples of intense platforming sections that challenge the player. So it, I think the difficulty curve and the pacing is very good. But contrast that to the movie game where you're constantly just hitting stuff and like you kind of know what to expect in the next level. It kind of has the same pacing problems as Scooby Doo, where they they kind of like um, they dish out the power ups at a very weird pace where. You're constantly getting things, and there's never enough time to actually learn and master these things. Like in Battle for Bikini Bottom, you have most of your kit, and then you have the Bubble Bowl and the Cruise Bubble that you eventually get, and you have plenty of time, plenty of spatulas, plenty of worlds and objectives to explore and master these things. But especially with the movie game, uh, the, the guitar you get in the literal final platforming level, there's only one place you can use it. And then the next thing you do is you, they just make you go back and do more stuff. So like, that's the whole pad, pad different topic. Time. Of the movie game. Yeah, pads out their gameplay by having a lot of repetitive missions. It's probably because, you know, I, I think that a big reason why 
they didn't put as much content into this game compared to Scooby-Doo and SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom is because they were working on two games at the same time. All of these games are rushed for sure, but you compare it to Scooby-Doo, there are so many levels, even more levels than Battle for Bikini Bottom. And Battle for Bikini Bottom, which is a concise yet vast game, but the movie game just feels like it's almost too small, but they're trying to make it bigger than it actually is. And that's the same problem with The Incredibles 2, is they kind of just reuse the same ambushes and i was i was joking when i was playing it on stream how you there's the entire like final third of the game you're just constantly walking through these like chambers and syndromes lair just pressing buttons over and over again they kind of just <laughs> lobotomize the gameplay i i still think that the movie game made it made a decent effort i i've thought about it quite a bit and i still think it's a better game than the incredibles but it, it still definitely has its issues especially with performance like it doesn't run as well it's like it lags a little bit more it crashes so forth the animations that were not you the animations that were unique to the movie game and not battle for bikini bottom are also a little bit more choppy not as um well strung together and and we've actually talked to the devs a lot who've uh, worked on battle for bikini bottom the one guy um the lead software dev that i met a while ago he and a lot of other people who worked on battle for bikini bottom spent 60 hours a week out of passion trying to make the game as perfect to their vision as possible because they just loved working on it so much and it just doesn't really feel that same way when you're playing their later titles like for example the movie game i think the only thing that 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 specific guy worked on was neptune fight at the end like i I think that their team was just generally split and a lot of those guys were starting to move on to different studios after the success of their their big masterpiece game because some of these guys are working at bungie some of these guys are working at insomniac now Uh, they went on to have very successful careers but you know, it's funny you go back and look at Battle for Bikini Bottom where a lot of these guys who ended up producing even more impressive games in the future, arguably, started at this one little humble game that we still care about and play today. Well, that's always nice when you see some of the greatest games of all time, the, the minds behind them, and then when you go and look at their other projects, you're just like, wow, they made that too? So kudos to any of you out there with Battle for Bikini Bottom on your resume. Um, I always had... Again, thought- like the, the guy, Jason Horner, that yeah, I talked shout to. out to Jason uh, there. Yeah, the, the dude who was the lead software dev still says to this day that despite working at all these bigger studios and bigger projects, he still regards Battle for Bikini Bottom as his favorite game he worked on in his career. So it still holds a place in their hearts, and they're all happy to see that we're still playing it. I'm yeah, sure you watched the history videos it. when you were researching. You saw that. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the level of yeah, effort they, they, down they, there, especially for this problem. one game, the love for Bikini Bottom, uh, it's it's prevalent. Uh, it's interesting. One thing I want to bring up. I don't know if you saw the news for this week. I, I don't know. I actually reached out to you oh, a few years I ago. Know what you're talking about. I, I reached out to you a few years ago for, for a conversation. You said, yeah, maybe down the road. And and here we are on the same week in which a villain, a mini boss from Battle for Bikini Bottom is making his animated debut, Prawn, in a uh, SpongeBob episode that airs later this week. And I, I was like, wow, this is crazy that we have a video specific character making his animated debut i don't think we've ever had that before in spongebob history yeah this might be the first one and we also had dennis from the movie a lot of fan service in there i see what they're trying to do i mean it's been 20 years a lot of the kids who grew up with spongebob probably are working there now and maybe kids who played Battle for Bikini Bottom and remembered it through the whole movement that revived the game or rehydrated existing in general that we manifested. Maybe somebody played the game and decided to put the character in. This is a little shout out to the the fans of the game. I love when they do stuff like that. I think there's actually like a there's like a SpongeBob trading card series that references 
Barnacle Boy is having the museum security guard position as his second job. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Maybe he was trading cards, something else. Just made but, it canon now. This whole game story is now canon. Yeah, they've, over the years, like, they've paid a lot of respect to the game. You can see influence of Battle for Bikini Bottom in it, literally every single SpongeBob game after itself. Even, except maybe except for Lights, Camera, Pants. That game is pretty underrated for trying to change up the formula where, like, every other game after Battle for Bikini Bottom was just trying to be battle for bikini bottom or clickbaiting it with you know like plankton's robotic revenge like oh, i wonder what that's supposed to be you know what i mean oh, yeah. but lights camera pants was like one of the games that had its own art style had all the original voice actors except for mermaid man who was doing a phenomenal job by the way the guy who replaced him was hilarious like the star of the show amazing they had all these characters that battle for bikini bottom didn't have like it's arguably in my opinion an even better game in terms of representing the spongebob franchise it had just come out like right at the beginning of season four of SpongeBob, like so it was the peak, like after the movie, like all the great things that we remember from the first three seasons are kind of embodied in that game. It's just a shame that, you know, like it's not as polished as it could have been. It's a great game, but you know, it's it's no battle for Bikini Bottom when it comes to replayability, but I still love it. it you know, it there, there are some the other polish, the same polish that, that Battle for Bikini Bottom got, it definitely deserves. I remember when THQ or THQ Nordic a few years back, right before Rehydrated was announced, where they made this this huge press release about a new partnership with Nickelodeon and they listed all of these different shows that they could possibly cover. Now, I think we all knew and expected, hey, Battle for Bikini Bottom is gonna be one of exactly. these games they're gonna remake, but then they didn't touch anything else and i'm just sitting here wondering I, you know i've bought a few compilation packs of of some series over the last few years i don't know why even spongebob himself has yet to have a compilation pack of all of his you know generational titles lights camera pants the movie game just those old you know classic games you don't have to remake them but just put them in a presentable you know emulator in a, in a package with all of them together 30 40 bucks who would want that of like 15 spongebob games I don't know why it hasn't been done yet. It's an interesting point. I think that another reason for that could be because of licensing issues, because EA owns the rights to renderware, and that could get a little bit shady. That's one of the things that I talked to uh, the CEO of Purple Lamp when I was at the studio, oh, testing yeah. remake. That's, that. a, that's a good segue right there, actually. It could be an issue with that. That's part of the reason another... Well, there are a couple of reasons, obviously, because they don't want to deal with the extra royalties, I suppose, but as well as... The, the community surrounding Battle for Bikini Bottom created a level editor that can be used to import models and levels to Unreal Engine, and that's what they used and adapted to create the remake. So, in a very real, large way, we essentially allowed that remake to happen as quickly and as cost-effectively as it was. So, it's cool that they wanted to work with us. It's cool that they invited me over to the studio to like as like a PR stunt to like test the game. I mean, you know, beyond like, just a PR stunt though, and you're I mean, can you actually slow down on that story? Because I actually want to know how you got involved with Purple Lamp. How did how did they contact you? What was your thoughts in the beginning? How was the trip? I, I want to know everything about that trip because for those that don't yeah, know, right. you were actually invited to Purple Lamp, the uh the developers behind Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated to at least check out the game and, and give your thoughts on it. So yeah, the floor is yours on that one. Yeah. So it was a three day trip, all expenses paid, including the hotel meals. It was very generous, very awesome. Like I said, great, great for PR because they got the entire community surrounding the, the game they were remaking behind their backs. And that's really great for steam as well. Cause if everybody is going to buy the game on day one, Everybody's going to be streaming it because the whole big thing about marketing now is not advertisements of how the streamers and influencers 
show off the game. And if you have somebody with like 80,000 followers at the time who exclusively plays the game you're remaking, you want to have them on your side. So it was really smart of them to do that. And it was a lot of fun as well. I was able to play through all the levels except for SpongeBob's Dream, which hadn't been started yet, I believe. Or it was started, but not functional. Kelp Forest had maybe just been started the day before I got there. Uh, Dutchman's Graveyard was very unfinished, untextured. I still got to play it, but it was like hard to really tell what was going on. Um, One of the things I noticed when I was there is also because um, the movement was not fully functional yet. They only had eight directions programmed on the analog stick, so when I was messing with the, the slide movement and the SpongeBob movement, we made, some, we made some tweaks to that, but unfortunately, uh, in the final product, it, felt, it feels way different because the analog was not fully realized when I was there. But with the main movement, the main platforming movement, that was the one thing I really wanted to have time to work on with them, but they didn't have time for it. Excuse me, at the end. So pretty much what I worked on with them is I went through each level. They wanted to see if somebody who had experience playing the game could play it normally and just like it feels like the original game. You know, and, and again, like it's all subjective, like what feels like what. But right, right. for a kid who hadn't played the game in twenty years, it felt fine. You know, it was it was good for them. I will say though that I was kind of disappointed by them not implementing like basic platforming elements like dynamic jumping, such as like holding down the A button to choose how high you jump. Every platformer I can think of has had dynamic jumping ever since the release of Super Mario Brothers for the NES in 1985. So I feel like every game should just have that straight off the bat. But they felt that the people who had QA'd their game before, um, they felt it was too difficult to hold down the button, is what they said. Like, they couldn't get used to it, which I'm asking, like, where do they find these people? Where, where do people <laughs> even, like, who who's playing video games these days that they can't even do that? But, you know, that's just a whole different topic of, like, how games are getting easier and more accessible at the expense of fun. But I digress. Um, it was a really fun trip, and they were very passionate about the game. They had conflicting opinions about how to make the game in some areas. Like, especially with the camera, they gave me full send, full creative liberty to set the camera exactly how I wanted it in terms of angle and field of view. And that is actually the camera that ended up in the final game. Nice, and what nice. will probably end up being the camera that is used in the Cosmic Shake, the, the sequel that's coming out either this year or next year. We don't know yet, because at this point we think it might be delayed, but we just don't know. We'll find out next month. But a lot of the changes that I suggested as well, like the, the symbols on the buttons indicate which move you hit them with, Small things like that they got in. There were some things that were changed while I was there that didn't make it in, though, which tells me that they were maybe a little bit disorganized. They had to, they had a lot of different versions floating around. Maybe they weren't pushing updates as effectively as they could have. But again, all these things can all just be ironed out in the next game they make. I'm sure they will be, because they have a lot of heart, and they were a good studio. They put in a lot of talent across all different parts of the world, all different people speaking different languages with different accents. It was really cool like how passionate they are about making games. And the cool thing, too, is that the guy, the CEO of Purple Lamp, Andrew Hans, was saying that he rediscovered the game through the GDQ run that I did back in 2017. So he was very keen on being the studio to remake this title when THQ Nordic announced that they wanted to uh, start making SpongeBob games once they got the license. So uh, he and a bunch of other studios auditioned to get the part and they as we know purple lamp got it because most likely because of their artistry and their passion for making video games and also probably you know like probably financial stuff involved in there as well uh, eventually they were bought out by thq nordic i think fo- immediately fo- almost immediately following the success of rehydrated they sold like a million copies the first summer two million copies shortly after which is extremely successful for a spongebob game 
in 2020, right? Like it's I mean, way I gotta tell you, uh, not, not to delve too much, but I, I do have a hand in, in selling video games at retail and it, it's, you know, yes, I'm a SpongeBob fan. Yes. I'm a fan of the game, but uh, I'm always honest people when it comes to, when they're always like, Hey, beyond the first party stuff, what's, what's good, you know, Hey, here's battle for bikini bottom rehydrated. It's a totally fine platformer, even regardless on whether or not you like SpongeBob. Yeah, it's totally fine. Got some issues with like optimization, but it's still fun to play. You can ignore the little flaws and polishing issues, especially because it was developed during COVID. Like you have to remember that the polishing process was definitely interrupted by the fact that they were working under great restrictions and mostly remotely toward the end of its development cycle. So again, like they could have waited another summer to make it perfect or, you know, they could have just put out a game that was eventually, you know, a remake is never going to be as timeless as the original anyway. I think the people just wanted to play it and it was probably smart of them looking back to release it when they did, even though it wasn't entirely finished because the remake is again, like it's a great way to get people reinterested in the original game, but the original game is going to be around forever and there's no harm done by releasing something that's not quite ready yet just because people were excited to play it during a time when honestly, a lot of people needed a game with that kind of good energy to sit and play while they were stuck inside. Well, you, you bring that up, too, about everybody, you know, playing that original game. And um, one part of one of your videos I found interesting, it was going over um, and I, I implore anybody uh, to watch the video on dirtying your discs and the, the changes that that does. Uh, near the end of that video, you had mentioned the idea of like, well, if we're all of a sudden and this is not like exactly your quote, but just brought up the idea of that if everybody is ruining their discs and all these discs are getting ruined and then eventually, you know, this game isn't being produced anymore, you know, are we going to really just ruin this game for everybody just to get faster at it? And I thought that was a really interesting part of your video yeah, to, to that's, mention. That's that. more of a personal piece to yeah. me because oh, yeah. I care about the game so much. But at the end of the day, like when it comes to politics and speed running, that's more of like an emotional thing where like we can't base a rule based on that. Yeah. The, the eventual ruling was that because the discs are inconsistent, it's not competitive. If there's a scratch on someone's disc and there isn't on another, that's going to occasionally impact their loads or like if a cutscene loads a little bit slower than one time than the other, if a lag clip happens faster, if these things that can, can all like at their taken to their logical extreme impact the game, then they shouldn't be a factor. The factor should be removed if possible. So like I said, thankfully, that our game is well-made enough for it to run off a disc because most of these games, pretty much all of them actually, were just designed to only be played on an optical disc. So it's amazing that this game can be transitioned to digital and yep. still function the way it does. But yeah, I agree. Like Personally speaking, like I prefer people not to destroy the games. Especially, even though like we have like downloads now and you can just put something on a disc and, you know, the game was made like 20 years ago. People are sharing stuff with their friends. It's never going to go anywhere. But... Uh, just the idea of like not um destroying old media not i I'm definitely very much behind that for sure no i I, I really implore that too uh, i'm I'm about that um i I gotta say thank you for for all your uh, work you've done with this community thank you for the work you've done with battle for bikini bottom because there's no doubt that the time that you spent with purple lamp the there's got to be even a minute piece of information that through an electronic game a telephone will still be used. And, and implored through some of the people from Purple Lamp, whether or not they go on to other studios and other games, like you helped in such a, a small way, but without you knowing you helped in a, in a bigger way. There's going to be so much of Cosmic Shake that I imagine, 
the work you've helped give in those just that time frame just helped shape the future of what they're doing with SpongeBob. So I remember that they mentioned there was a debate over whether they should like add cruise boosting to rehydrated as an Easter egg. I believe that not only will we get their same camera angle that I reset for them because the initial camera angle they showed off during Gamescom when the game was first shown to us for the first time, people were really upset about it. So they had me redo the whole thing and like the angle and the field of view and all that. That'll probably show up in Cosmic Shake, but at the same time, I think they might also add a new power-up in addition to the ones we already have that is inspired or like homage to cruise boosting itself. Like We'll probably see influence on the developers from the speed runs they've been watching over the past several years because we already know that you know the ceo is a big fan and he probably will implement some of that some things that were inspired by the things that we discovered in this game over the past decade into the sequel so really just making it a true sequel and embodiment of the community surrounding these games that we enjoy playing but we'll see i mean I'm sure that I'll probably be one of the first people to play the demo when it comes out. And at the moment, we have no idea like what's going to happen or when it's when it's coming out or if it's coming out at this point because we've heard nothing over the past 11 months. But next month, I think on August 12th, I don't want to misspeak, so I'm going to say the 11th or 12th. I can't remember which one it is. But uh, there's going to be a THQ showcase, and we believe that there has to be something about it. You know, it's been yeah. like all yeah. year. We'll probably hear something even but if it's just I'm, the smallest I'm, bit of update like an extra playable character because uh, i i don't know if it's if it's the fear of every other game past battle for bikini bottom but it feels like once you've unlocked the door of patrick and sandy as playable characters you can't really close it and go back to to just spongebob it feels weird i think it's going to be just spongebob actually yeah, i feel I like it's going to be too, but... just spongebob with a companion kind of like cappy in mario odyssey yeah i think it's going to be like battle for bikini bottom meets Crash 4, It's About Time, meets Super Mario Odyssey. Like, it's going to be like the battle for Bikini Bottom of the era where they take inspiration from all of the recent popular platformers and try to combine it into one thing. That's I exciting. think that's kind of what they're going for. And plus, like, with the costumes as well, it seems like they're kind of trying to implement and hopefully improve the mechanic they did in Revenge of the Flying Dutchman with the costume changing and stuff. It's just a shame. Like, they had some good ideas in that game, but, you know, just not... Not quite there, like you said. Even the the Flying Dutchman's graveyard as an area in that game was not a thing in the show. And it was just an idea they came up with or that the, was a requirement maybe by Nickelodeon because I'm pretty sure that the Game Boy Advance game had the Dutchman's graveyard as well, which, by the way, there was a Game Boy Advance game of Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Funny enough, apparently it's okay. And yeah, they, I've heard a lot of good things about that one. Can you bottom so they I, I love the the different color palette with the green and the brown and the dark colors it's just really awesome it's an awesome game battle for bikini bottom i actually missed out when um when battle for bikini i played revenge of the flying dutchman i i had asked it uh my mom could get me like maybe one or two games a year christmas birthday and and otherwise you know it's like yeah. a special occasion and uh i had revenge of the flying dutchman and i i enjoyed it i loved it um battle for bikini bottom though I rented and I played it over the course of like two or three days and I enjoyed it, but I don't know why I can't like remember why I didn't ask, you know, Hey, can I own this game? But it wasn't until the movie game that I owned an actual heavy iron SpongeBob game. So I actually played that one in full first, but it was because of that. And then my love for it that I went back and, and so I played, I played those games in reverse order or, you know, just in a trajectory of a, of a better game. Because going from the movie game and then going from, hey, now you have Patrick and then, hey, now you have Sandy. It just it felt, I don't know, it felt like a sequel in a way. 
Yeah, it's interesting you put it that way. Because they, they so, yeah. Um, three. We look at the opposite direction. It's like kind of disappointed the movie game wasn't as good. But I mean, it's the thing is we now have so many tools. And I'm sure you you should be aware of this by now that we have like a lot of ROM hacks for the game. Like somebody actually recreated Five Nights at Freddy's and the Battle for Bikini Bottom Engine. It's actually a really well made mod, apparently. Uh, there are a lot of like full game mods for Battle for Bikini Bottom. So now we have like almost like actual sequels to the game. And, you know, again, like the Mario 64 community has been doing this for years and they've had some pretty advanced ROM hacks made that are almost as legendary as the original game itself. And maybe we'll see someday with the same tools this community built that allowed Rehydrated to exist. We'll see our own sequels being made with the Battle for Bikini Bottom engine at some point that are just as high of quality or high quality. I mean, Never know what's going to happen. Just look at your trajectory. Uh, you showed up to uh, Awesome Games Done Quick 2017, showed off the possibilities of this game, and five years later, still coming up with new strats, like still even to the uh, hardware of the system, still coming up with new ways to to break the game, to find new yeah. strats, and it's impressive. So who's going to know what's happened, Who what's going to change in the next five to ten years with this game? Yeah, I've recently been looking into ways to make the movie game more interesting, too. Because like you mentioned, like there are a lot of people who played that game, but not the other. And I think there's an opportunity to bring people who played the movie game when they were kids over to the Battle for Bikini Bottom and help them appreciate that game as well. So I've been looking into ways to make the movie game a little bit more interesting because speedrunning the game is you know, quite boring, just to put it bluntly. I've been trying to think for years how to make it fun and exciting. And I finally think I, 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 I'm going to try this out. We'll see how it goes, but I'm thinking damageless, like no hit challenge runs, because a lot of people on Twitch right now are doing these like Kaizo challenges where it's not speed running because I, I think that I'm, I'm starting to understand speed running is not as accessible of a term where it's more um, broad and vague. People like a speed run means a different thing to everybody. Some people think that glitches shouldn't be used in speed running, for example. Right, right. Something with like a like a very um, clear, concise beating the SpongeBob movie game without taking a hit is easier for people to understand and appreciate because a lot of people played it and maybe they thought it was too hard to beat when they were a kid. So they think, oh, somebody can beat it without taking a hit. That's really impressive, even though like, you know, like speed running is even crazier, but it's a good like little like way to get people to dip their toes in the pool, I think, with a different game that is mixing up the content for my own stream as well. And also just getting people to appreciate the older SpongeBob games more. But the movie game, unfortunately, suffers from a lot of padding and a lot of extra combat. Like I said, the sandwich driving is like pretty boring. But when you think about it, the one consistent thing that all these levels have are stage hazards, like the gumballs flying everywhere and the yeah. Sunday driving and the combat challenges and the ambushes. Beating the entire game without taking a single hit could be something that'd be fun to watch. Because it's, again, like, it's easier to understand than just, like, a speed run. If you're watching something, you just come into something, you already assume that, like, if you watch, if you're jumping in midstream, he hasn't taken a hit yet, and it can happen at any time. So it's very easy to just immediately comprehend what's happening. So I'm starting to really appreciate the more that there are other challenging ways to play games and just speed running that fit the mold of whatever game I'm trying to play better than speed running could. So like, we'll always have Battle for Bikini Bottom speedrunning. It's the greatest speedrun of all time, in my opinion. But there are other ways to bring people, fans who liked SpongeBob, 
back over and introduce them to Battle for Bikini Bottom with other games that were cherished when they were kids. Like you mentioned, like the movie game was your game. Oh, and I'm going to so many unlocked potential with the, those older I'm titles. Do more with it soon. I want to see how far that can go as well. Uh, you mentioned other games. Uh, not, not that I'm, you know, down to force anybody to do anything, but if you were forced to start speed running a new game other than Battle for Bikini Bottom, do you have a title that you would, uh, you would like to crack at? It's tough for me because, like, for me, like, I don't really view speedrunning as, like, a big, like, organized thing. It's more just, like, individual games have different communities, and some communities choose to play their game as a speedrun. Some choose to play them as, like, a challenge run and so forth. Yeah. Um, uh, if I had to play just purely for competition, I'd probably play Mario 64 because I believe that I'm the most disciplined speedrunner to ever exist. And I think that I do pretty fine in that game, even if it's not my forte. Like, I could still pr pretty much do decently, I think, with just the amount of um, um, grit that I have when it comes to the hobby. So, it's even if I you said that player, I'd still probably at least be formidable if I put my time into it, which I know I can with anything I do. But honestly, what I prefer to do is play Super Smash Brothers Melee if I had the time, the budget, because again, like, it's one of the best games of all time. Yeah, it's not necessarily speedrunning, but again, like it can be speedrun, but I'd rather just compete in a tournament at that point. I wanted to originally do that when I first started speedrunning. Um, that was my original choice, but I couldn't afford it because, again, like on the East Coast, not only are you paying like $20 a local, you're also paying $20 to play a good players like Zelda or something. Like everybody would just like sandbag, and like the one good player, Swedish Delight, at the time was in the Northeast. I don't know where he is now or if he even is still playing, but he was just ranked zero. He would never go to tournaments. And like, you know, it's, it's just hard to really compete against good players back then or have like any kind of like like visible ladder to get better. But now that things like Slippy and the net player are just so much better, it's, it's, it's doable for a lot of people who couldn't otherwise play. And again, with streaming, like, I wanted to play Melee in the past on my stream so badly, but, you know, there was just no, like, way of doing it except, like, sitting and playing by yourself and practicing tech skill. Like, the, the net play was just not very good, especially when you were playing with people on the opposite coast, where that's where all the good players were, right? right. Now the good players are everywhere, but you'd always have, like, terrible ping, and it was just, like, unimaginably bad. That was, like, back in, like, 2015. Well, come on, those on the West Coast can, can uh, hold their tournaments year-long. Us in the East Coast, we have, like, three or four months off where no one really wants to travel to a tournament with the snow uh, up here in the Northeast. Um, yeah. the one thing that you said earlier, I because I had said, it's crazy you said that, and I wanted to address it, that you mentioned Super Mario 64 and that you have the discipline. Um, the reason I said that was because Earlier in the episode, I was going to bring up how watching you play Battle for Bikini Bottom and the strats that it takes very much remind me of the the strats that it takes to do a 120 star run on Mario 64. Like the sheer amount of knowledge that it takes to to go from point A to point B of each moment of the game and how at any moment it could just be wiped away and you have to start over like the two very much. I, I watch the two games like that. Um in, in the same vein of just like, wow, this is one of the most impressive kind of speed runs you can watch. Yeah, Mario 64 is a very, very different game than Battle for Bikini Bottom, but it is still very impressive, and I appreciate it a lot. The thing with that game, though, that is why, like, again, like if I had the choice to speed run another game, I don't even know if I would necessarily pick that. Like I said, for, co for competition, like, if I wanted to compete, I view speedrunning as more of, like, a personal competition thing. Yeah. But if I decided that if I wanted to, like, get into seeing how I do versus other people, 
like that or melee will be both pretty fun for me. And I think that Mario 64, like as a competitive thing, would be really fun. But at the end of the day, I really appreciate the blend that Battle for Bikini Bottom has between the insane encyclopedia almost of glitches and crazy physics things you can do, paired with the movement, having that balance between the two. Where it's like I really appreciate speedruns with that have a ton of crazy glitches that are almost hard to explain to the average person where it just makes your head spin like how is this working but mario 64 is the exact opposite where it's very straightforward most of it's straightforward not to undermine it obviously but it's much more focused on the movement and i really like that the game that i chose to play balances both like pretty much perfectly in my opinion it's it's the best thing ever but at the same time you know like i'm willing to try other things i'm willing to try things that i don't even necessarily enjoy playing like the you know spongebob movie game we're giving that a try just to see how that goes as far as streaming entertainment. You know, I'm okay like trying things that aren't necessarily my favorite thing in the world. So I'm not saying that it's off the table, but you know, in the in the event that someday I do something like speedrun Mario 64 or play Melee, you know, That'll they're possible. To watch. I'll be there uh, among the uh, crowd. Uh, um, we all love SpongeBob, but I feel like if there if there's any other cartoons out there that deserve a caliber on the level of Battle for Bikini Bottom, are there any that come to mind for you? Even a series that may have had some games, but just they've had misses and there's just a an easy hit out there. Is there any other cartoons that you can think of? Yeah, I think it's cool you mentioned this because the the Avatar Studios is they're they're like reincorporating or something like that. They're trying to bring back Avatar: The Last Airbender because of the resurgence in popularity. Yeah. And I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows. But the games were apparently really bad from what I've heard. I, I don't want to dive into them for the same reason I don't want to dive into the M. Night spinoff. But those games, um, maybe they could have been better. Maybe the new games or the new shows or movies that they're making. I think, yeah, they're making three movies. I know Netflix um, they, has their live action show. that. Um, yeah, they're doing that too, like, whole big thing. They're trying to bring the franchise back. So it would be cool to eventually get a game that embodies the whole universe, not just the Legend of Aang. I think it's cool that the Harry Potter games are starting to come back now. Like they're doing like the Wizarding World Hogwarts thing, I, I guess. Um, I love those games when I was a kid, like the, the platformers with the spells and like the secrets to explore. They were really fun licensed games, too. Oh, yeah. Hopefully so that new one has those. It'd be pretty fun. I like the spell challenges. Like you like get thrown into like a dungeon and you have to find the spell book and then use the spell to escape. Uh, it was just like you know, fun stuff when I was like, eight <laughs> no those are those classic memories those moments that you don't necessarily seek out to make but then they happen and then you have no idea why 10 20 years later you're like i still remember that game that experience that one level that boss that's what's beautiful about video games in general and this hobby is that even if we're all playing or doing different things we all have very similar experiences in a lot of ways absolutely that's why we can all come together and appreciate things that's why i even have a career is because people can come together and appreciate something like this and again like my goal is just to help as many people appreciate it as possible to that end i've actually been working on a new series i know that i've been taking a hiatus from the world record history series but now i'm working on the world record explain series where i'm going through yeah. each section of the game and discussing how these strats work and just how precise they truly are so if you've ever Excuse me, a bit congested. I ate very quickly before I got on here. <laughs> I understand. If, you're ever, good. if you're ever interested in seeing just the deeper end of how these things work out, you'd be very surprised at how just how precise some of these maneuvers get. Especially like being a 60 FPS game for the era, it's just the the perfect sweet spot of like precision and 
and freeform movement. It's just a really, truly amazing game. When you can just break down one moment, and that's what's impressive about everything, is that even when you just take one simple moment of of the entire run... Right before I we came on, um, a part of your your explained series was was on the on YouTube for me, and uh, it was actually at the part where you were explaining how to jump onto Squidward's house and how to use the camera, you know, to avoid Mr. Krabs, and just that one moment of the entire run and the intric- the intricate jumps that you have to make. It's that it's just impressive when you're able to break that down. And just how helpful. There's not many other speed. There's speedrunners out there who certainly have no problem helping to break things down. But especially with that video series, it's such an incredible tool that I hope uh, I hope a lot of uh, future speedrunners take uh, heed from. Yeah, I think that a lot of people like you either have like one under the other where one person is focused on entirely making like the sense making it sensational or just making content surrounding stuff. Usually they won't be very far up the leaderboard, but people really appreciate them for how how they try to get people interested in the game and make it entertaining. And you usually have the opposite end where you have people who are mostly focused on speedrunning the game and the skill. Maybe they'll do like reaction content and stuff, but it's it's not often you have somebody who works on both where they try to create resources also for entertainment and also learning the game and make the game entertaining in, in like a more polished way while also trying to continue pushing the boundaries of it. And again, like it's a lot of work, but I really try my best to try and balance both of those things now. Because in the past, I've I've gone back and forth. Like the year I was working on the history videos, I definitely was not as focused as getting on getting as good at the game as I am now. And then toward the end of last year, I was not making any videos, and I was only focusing on the game. But this year, I'm really trying to, to set the example I want to see in other communities where you can, you know, go ascend beyond the point of even being the best at the game or the point where you're not even concerned with being the best anymore. It's just a given fact that you're going to be how far you're going to push it and how many boundaries you're going to break. But you can also make the game fun to watch. You can still put on a good face for the community to attract more people who are like-minded and care about the game like you do and, you know, get people that you want to be around and interact with and work with on the game and and bring people into the game who also... You know, appreciate it and not just watch it because they you know they again like we appreciate people who watch the game because they enjoy spongebob but what we're really trying to do is build a fan base surrounding the game itself and Absolutely. again like i said like the endeavors with the movie game that i'm trying to get into and the future with cosmic shake i think that those two games will really help bring people back to battle for bikini bottom and show them like why we keep playing this over and over again and why i don't intend on stopping anytime soon no, and that's why I mentioned earlier, you'll you'll never not really find it not on many top 10 best licensed games of all time. It's it's especially how it was made, when it came out. It's a special game. It's a special experience. Uh, even watching some of your more recent streams, you're always getting questions about, you know, uh, pieces of, of advice that you could give aspiring streamers or people looking for advice in speedrunning. I could ask you that question, but you've you've answered that more than enough. Even like within an hour of watching, somebody will join in and ask that question and you're re-answering it. Is there a piece of advice when it comes to streaming that maybe you have somewhere in the in the back of your mind that you always want to talk about and maybe the the chance just doesn't come up enough? Is there is there any like that one-off piece of advice that you want to mention here? Anything that you have? Sure. I think, and it's been said before, that if you really do believe that what you're doing is worth it and that your idea is genuinely amazing, 
you can't let people tell you that it's not. If I had listened to anybody in the first year that I started playing this, when I was harassed nonstop about, like, why are you playing SpongeBob, blah, blah. And on the opposite end, you have people in the speedrunning community who are disrespecting it and thinking it was just a phase or a fad, or the guy was just doing it for attention, and they couldn't even tell if it was, like, ironic or post-ironic, the fact that somebody would take this seriously, or that a SpongeBob game could even be taken seriously. All these, these almost social norms in the speedrunning community that this is a respectable game and not only is it respectable it's one of the greatest games ever i think that you know if if at any point i let up and let people walk over me and agree with them and it's even if i were still playing the game none of this would have happened it's the it's the level of respect and the the boundaries you need to set with yourself and the things you care about to allow people the chance to appreciate it because if you can't appreciate those boundaries that you set for yourself then nobody will appreciate them at all so you need to set boundaries be firm with what you believe in and if you think something is genuinely good and worth doing then keep doing it and don't stop because that's the one thing that people get wrong is that they'll get into something and they'll see success and then it goes back down inevitably because it's not just a normal nine to five job you're not just getting a consistent paycheck it's always up and down. And if you look at the down periods and you say, that's it, and you stop doing it, you'll never see the up period again. It's inevitable. Because just the, the, the prospect of compounding your effort in something over a long period of time is so, so valuable, especially even in just speedrunning, not just streaming and seeking success that way. Just the more days in a row you're actively thinking about something and developing something and putting effort into something, if you took two days off in the middle of that, you don't know where you could have been a week from then. It's an entirely different world, and you have to build that world for yourself if you want to see the outcome. And to that end as well, once you see the outcome, you can't just stop there. That's what I did with Rehydrated, where I thought that it was the peak, it was the end. Like, it couldn't possibly get any higher from there. And I walked myself into a wall where I I could not get past for years trying to figure out what I did wrong. And what I did wrong is that I was not letting myself succeed past that point. I got trapped into a narrative that I wrote for myself quite literally because I created a documentary series detailing what, at the end of the day, are a lot of my own accomplishments and realized a couple of years later, like, wow, I really wrote myself into a corner because I felt like Rehydrated was the end because that was the end of the series that I was working on. So I needed to step away and stop working on this to to escape from the destiny that I created myself, which is to, to not be able to grow any higher or go past that point. Like even in the game itself, I was having a hard time innovating and getting better because I felt like I'd already reached the end. You know, you just can never set yourself a narrative that's not going to impact you in a in a positive way when you set an end goal there has to always be another goal beyond that you can't just you can never stop you just can never stop absolutely once you stop it's it's like starting all over again from ground ground one like yeah and if you do stop because again some people genuinely do take different paths and see different opportunities for success if you are going to stop something you need to at least get equally as good at the next thing you do and keep pushing that thing. Because all of our experiences are going, like my 15,000 hours of SpongeBob will sure as hell transfer to anything else I do because I know how to learn. I know how to get better at things. 
And it's the same way as I went from the hobbies I did before speed running into speed running and streaming. It all transfers like your lived experience as uh, during your, your times pushing yourself. They all compound into the next thing you do. But you have to make sure that you're doing something. You can't just stop doing everything. You can't give up. Wonderfully said, beautifully said. The last couple minutes, everything you said was just pitch perfect. And and I, it's things that I personally believe in and that I might not even remember myself sometimes. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for talking about Battle for Bikini Bottom. I know that... Uh, it's it's tough to to ask you to talk more about a game that you literally stream just hours upon hours every week, but I want you to know something, uh, and I'm I don't mind speaking on behalf of a couple of a uh, couple of your other viewers out there, but I don't just watch you simply because hey here's the fastest speedrunner battle for Bikini Bottom. Uh, I watch you for you, and and at the end of the day. There's always going to be a nice group of people who want to check out what you have to offer, what you want to play, what you want to do. And and we're here along the ride for you, uh, Shift. So uh, awesome. thank you. Thank you for coming along. And uh, and I hope to have you again on another episode, a, a proper episode where we can actually maybe talk about an episode of SpongeBob. But I literally could not think of another person on this planet I would rather talk about this game with. So, yeah, I understand that. Awesome talking to you, man. All right, thank Always you, Till. Talking with the fans of the game and myself and whatnot. Trying to do better for you guys this year. Think that things have been great so far, so hopefully the rest of the year is even better. Hey, okay, I'll be here along the ride for it, so thank you again, and until next time. Thank you. And with that, episode 125 is in the books. An interview with Shift in regards to Battle for Bikini Bottom. I couldn't begin to tell you my appreciation towards Shift for his time, you know. Um, I appreciate him uh, immensely. We had a wonderful conversation about the game. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you walked away with something new, either about the game or about the world of streaming, the world of speedrunning. Uh, we've talked about so many different topics, and there's so many th more things that we could have covered that I hope to cover on a future conversation with Shift uh, someday down the road. So uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is our time today. But before we go, I want to make sure everybody gets plugged. We love plugs, and I want to throw out some plugs here. Uh, but if you would like to uh, look for any of Shift's content or anything that he is currently doing, uh, you can sign up for twitch.tv and look at... Oh, he's actually live right now. Look at that as I'm uh, recording this outro. And look at this, see? What a better form of advertisement for a uh, for live streaming. Uh, but yeah, you can follow him at twitch.tv slash shift. You can also follow him on Twitter at shiftposting, which is an incredibly clever name. Uh, both of those links will be in the description below and also for his YouTube channel in the description below where we have mentioned a ton of videos on this episode. Um, a few of those I, I'm going to have in links in the podcast description ready to go for you. So after you've listened to this episode, you can head right to the podcast description or in the YouTube video description, wherever you're listening to this to, and get links to any of the videos we've mentioned or a lot of the, the big ones that Shift has put together uh, that deal with not only the history of, of Battle for Bikini Bottom as a speedrunning game, but then going through the actual speedrunning elements themselves. They're just incredible to watch. And I implore you to give them a shot, especially if you're listening to this far into the podcast. Like, you clearly care enough 
you might as well just go the extra mile and enlighten yourself just an extra little bit. But if you would like to reach Captain Eric by any means, you can reach me at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast or on Instagram at Spongebob Podcast. Please check out my other podcast this week in Nickelodeon history, dropping every Sunday. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel where we have new video content coming in mere weeks. Uh, Right before the end of July, I've got something big dropping along with more unboxings throughout August, along with a uh, a special commentary track possibly for a uh, Nickelodeon anniversary that we're currently celebrating. Something special along those means I'd like to... uh, I'd like to do for you guys, but uh, all of those links will, as always, be in the podcast description below. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects goes directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. As always, guys, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. The battle for Bikini Bottom in 15 seconds. Bikini Bottom was a lovely place, but now it isn't. The evil plankton has taken it over. SpongeBob has to save it. That's him tongue boarding. Why is he doing that? Can't get into that now. It's a new SpongeBob video game, and it's on a bunch of different game systems, and it's rated everywhere.